Take your Bibles, if you will, now and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, as children, most of us did not like to hear the word no. You know, when our parents spoke that word to us, it was almost like they had made a mistake, right? Surely they did not intend to say that. I mean, when you, when you ask, um, well, when you ask to go to the movies just to meet some friends, and they said no, you began to think, what's wrong with this picture? Why, why would they say no about my going to the movies to meet my friends? Maybe it was, hey, to have friends over, and they'd say, no, not tonight. No. And for you, it was so difficult to begin to process, why not tonight? You know, you started singing that old song. Some of you know what I'm singing or talking about. You can tell your age, you know, when you're nodding. But some of you, you know, as, as children, you would think, okay, I asked for this or I asked for that. Maybe today people ask for Xbox or some type, and they say, no, it just, just seems to be unfathomable that somebody would say no to you, especially your parents. They're supposed to love you. They're supposed to be there for you. And they're saying no. You know, oftentimes when we're children, we hate to hear the word no, but Things don't change a whole lot as we get older. You know, as we get older and we have certain requests and certain things we want to do, we like for people to say yes. We like for them to give us permission to do those things. And you know what's really difficult? It's when God says no to you. When God says, no, this is not what I want you to do. I mean, that can be very difficult because... For those of us who we grow up and we, we go to school and we, we, we get married, and we, we've got so many different plans. We have so many different things that we are looking forward to. We think this is our dream. We're going to make it here in this way. Maybe, maybe in our job, we're going to finally get to that, the pinnacle of the company. Maybe we're going to have our own company. Maybe we're going to be a supervisor. But we know exactly what we want to see in our lives and when it doesn't come to fruition when it seems like God says no that's not what I want you to do it's very difficult for us to deal with that broken dream broken vision or maybe in our families maybe in our relationships when God says no well I want to share with you today a message about God saying no and I want you to see from David's life how actually God will work through that response, through that no response to do something better in your life and to position or posture you better before him. I want you to see this. Second Samuel chapter seven, look in verse one. It says, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, see now I dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. So stop there for a moment. We're given this commentary on this moment of peace within David's life and the life of Israel. Now, it says that for just this moment, okay, David has peace all around him. It's like a pause. And this doesn't happen too often. It doesn't happen too often in the nation of Israel. It doesn't happen too often in David's life. There seem to be always these enemies. 
There's always the arch rival, the Philistines themselves that are knocking on the territorial door. So it doesn't happen too often. So just for a moment, it says that David has a pause in his life. He has some rest. He has some moments to think. You've probably had some of those moments, right? I mean, oftentimes life is so busy and so hurried. Like you're, you're just trying to keep up. You're just trying to get through the day. You're just trying to get through the week. Can I get a testimony? You're so busy. I mean, there's so much going on in your life. It is hard. Hey, can we, can we admit this? It is hard to just stop and think and reflect when so much is going on around you. And for David, he's been fighting battles. He, he's been leading the nation here in, in war. And it says, for just this moment, he gets to stop. And when you stop, when you have a pause in your life, when you can just sit down for a few moments, you just begin to think. Maybe you just begin to reflect. And the Bible says that as he has this moment of peace, he just begins to think about things. He's sitting around maybe in his palace and he looks at the beauty of it. He looks at this house of cedar and he thinks to himself, you know, God has blessed me so much. And I have this great cedar palace that's here. And and I enjoy that. But you know, how about my God? We brought the Ark of the Covenant some time ago. And I believe years have actually passed now since they had brought the Ark of the Covenant up to Jerusalem. He said, we brought the very presence of God here. We've seen blessing. Now we've seen peace. Why doesn't my God have a place that is worthy of his name? Here I am living in a palace that glorifies the king. What about a a temple? A place where our king will inhabit the praises of his people. And he begins to think about that. Well, when you begin to think about things, you and I have been there before, right? We think about, we we reflect, all of a sudden there's a dream that we feel in our heart, there's a vision, and what we want to do is we want to vet that dream. We want to talk to somebody about it. Oftentimes it'll be those people that we deem very close to us. And for the first time in Scripture, we are introduced to a guy named Nathan. Nathan the prophet. Nathan, obviously, is going to speak for God. And Nathan is also going to be a friend of David. He's going to be a great encourager. And David just kind of brings Nathan and says, hey, something's welling up in my heart. I mean, I can't get it off my mind. I've been thinking about this. You know, I've been reflecting about it. Nathan, I I want to build, I want to build our Lord a temple. You know, perhaps David had looked around and seen all the other temples for other gods, false gods that were out there. And he said, you know, our God deserves so much better. And Nathan, I I really, really want to do this. And notice Nathan. I think he is a great encourager. Now, I know some of you remember the story of David's fall and how Nathan confronted him. But I think down in Nathan's DNA, there is the encouragement element that he had. Because he looked at David and he said, you know what? It's not a bad idea whatsoever. And, And if I know you, David... I know that the Lord is with you and I know that the Lord has blessed you and I know that you're seeking him with all of your heart, David. So you know what? Go for it. Go for it. Well, everything seems to be great, right? I mean, David wants to do it. 
the preacher man comes and says, go ahead and do it. But then the night comes. And the preacher man lays down to rest. And I don't know why. I don't know if you've ever noticed this in your life, but at least us preacher men, we realize this. Oftentimes, God decides he wants to talk to you at night. Now, I'm all open whenever God wants to talk, but I do think sometimes God can talk to me like at 9 a.m. in the morning. But sometimes it's at night. And maybe that is when we have stopped. Maybe that's when we will listen. Maybe that's when we have taken the pause from the day. But God speaks. I want you to look in verse 4. But it happened. Just those three words in our English translation. But it happened. Everything seemed to be going well. Everything seemed to be on track. But then it happened. That night. That the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people, over Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. Since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel and have caused you to rest from all your enemies. Also the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. So, so God comes to David through the prophet Nathan. And God says to David basically, have I asked for this? Have I ever asked for something like this from, for my presence to dwell in? I, I mean, I have moved among you. I've been in the tabernacle. I have gone with you. You have seen my presence. You have known my presence. David, you have seen what I've done in your life. My presence has been demonstrated when I took you from the pastures, when I took you from the flock, and I set you over the house of Israel. My presence has always been known. My greatness has been known among the people and among you, you and your family. What God is saying is, no. No. Now, let me point this out before we kind of work through these passages. I want you to see here that David did not have ill intentions within this project. As a matter of fact, I believe David was very well-intentioned. I believe that David was speaking from a genuine heart, wanting to please God through the building of a temple. 
So I believe that he had a gracious heart about him. I don't believe that God said no just because he was defective. I know some of you say, oh, well, it says that he was a warrior and, and that he had shed blood and all of this kind of stuff. And, and I simply believe that, that David was not the one ordained to build the temple. There are some people who are warriors and there are some people who are builders. There are some people who are called to certain things in their lives and there are those who are called to others, right? Not all of us are called to the same purpose. But David, I believe, had good intentions. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Solomon gives this speech after the temple itself has been completed. And this is what he says about his father. He says, Now it was in the heart of my father, David, to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So did you hear that? He says, I know what was in your heart. God spoken to David. I know what's in your heart. And you have, you are well-intentioned. You, you wanted to do this for the right reasons. I want to point this out because sometimes we have dreams and they are well-intentioned. We have goals. It, it's not like we're against God. It's not like we've just come up with this on our own. Sometimes it just sounds good. And it comes from a pure desire from our heart. And yet, even in the midst of that, God, God can say no. Chuck Swindoll said it this way. He said, sometimes the dream is from God. Sometimes it's not. Both are noble. Both are great resolves. Both are ideals. But when it is not of God, it will not come to fulfillment. And nor should it. In other words, there are times in our lives, it sounds good. It can be good. But it doesn't necessarily mean it comes from God. Hey, you may have heard me say this before. And if you read my tidings article about two and a half years ago, did you do that? You remember? I talked about the difference between God things and good things. There are a lot of times that we are engaged in good things of life. I would even say there are times the church is involved in good things. But my question has always been, are they the God things? I'm starting to get a little older now, a little bit, starting to demonstrate it. I had my directory pictures made this week, and it just kind of, whoo, was a wake-up call on my age. Any of you done the directory pictures yet? Some of you? Yes? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, I'll see you after the service, all right? You have a second sermon coming to you, but... As I get a little bit older, I realize I don't have enough energy, resource, or time to do every good thing that I'm asked to do. I just don't. There are a lot of good things in the community. There are a lot of worthy things in the community. I mean, I, I make no... I, I don't try to... I, I don't try to cast doubt upon any of those things. 
But I can't do everything. And neither can you. And God has not called you to do everything. Sometimes you feel guilty because you can't join every club in the community. That's okay. God's not called you to join every club in the community. And to do every good thing in the community. He's called you to do the things that he has ordained for you. And I would just say this to us as a church. God has blessed us with immense resources and he has given us immense abilities and opportunities. But I will say to you, we don't have enough for everything that goes on in this community. It's one of the reasons God has given many different churches in this. Thank God there are many different churches in our community that can reach different needs. God has not called us to do every good thing. He has called us to do the thing that he has placed before us. And for David, this was good. Who could have argued? Nathan, even in the beginning, said, good idea. Sounds like it's a winner. God's with you. Go ahead. But God was the one who came and said, no. And God will speak into our lives and he will say, no. But I want you to hear this today. Two truths, okay? Two truths, very quickly. One, when God says no, he has a better plan for you. When God says no in your life, when he quelches that dream, that, that heart, that desire that you had, when he does that, understand that he has got something better in your life and for you. Look at this. In the passage I read a moment ago in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it was as though God looked at David and said, Your plan is to make my name great. And what a worthy plan to make the name of God great. You'll see it again later in this passage that David will pray that the name of God will be famous. Oh, what a goal. But listen to what David said, what God says to David. David God says to David, hey, you want to make my name great? And because you want to make my name great, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your name great. Did you see that in this passage? Where it says that people have already recognized, I've taken you from the sheepfolds and I have made you the king of Israel. Your name is already being proclaimed throughout the nation. But it's as though he's saying, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make your name great because you wanted to make my name great. I'm going to work within you. I think that's incredible. And this is the first time that you've really seen this kind of mention of David's name being great. This type of mention, almost reminding you of Genesis 12, right? Remember Genesis 12 when God spoke to Abraham, said, you follow me. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those that bless you. I'm going to curse. It's kind of the same idea. That God says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make your name great. I'm telling you no. Yes, I'm telling you no. You're not the one to build the temple. But understand, I'm going to do something within you that's going to be better than even a temple. And I'm going to make your name great throughout the world. A shepherd boy from the hamlet of Bethlehem. Think of this a moment. A nobody. His daddy didn't even remember him. 
And God says, I'm going to take you and your name, and people are going to speak that name. They're going to speak that name all over this world. Later on in the history of Israel, read through the, the list of the different kings and their reigns, and what will you note every time is they will always be compared to their ancestor, David. They will always be compared to whether or not they do right inside of the Lord by David's standard. Because his name's going to be noted. So as Dale mentioned a moment ago, some of us are going to be leaving this week and we're going to be heading to Israel. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I would ask you to pray for us, pray for safety, pray for that. Pray for patience because I've got people going like Ivan Hood and Rusty Mabry. And, <laughs> and um, there's some more I could name, but I'm really needing some patience with those people. Uh, Dale, obviously. But um, <laughs> when you go over to Israel, even as you walk through today, I, I've been there a couple of times, and you will note this. David's name is everywhere. I mean, it's, it's everywhere. You got the city of David. You, got, you walk down and, I mean, David's name is still noted in Israel. You've got Abraham. You've got Moses. But perhaps no other name is noted in present-day Israel like the name David. Because God said, I'm going to make your name famous. I'm going to bless your name. Hey, we're in Ruston, Louisiana. You know that, right? We're sitting in a church in Ruston, Louisiana. And what are we talking about? We're talking about God's message to King David. Do you know how far we are away from the Holy Land? Those of you who will be traveling with me, you're going to find out soon. Because when God says no, there's a better plan. And God said, hey, your plan was to make my name great. I want to make your name great. I want to show you this. Hey, your plan was to build me a house. My plan is to build you a house. Man, this, 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 I mean, this is where, I mean, it gets good here. Because God says, you want to build me a house. Look in verse 11. Also, the Lord tells you that he will make you a house. Same language, by the way. I went back and looked in the Hebrew to make sure. Same language, this bait, this house. It's like, you wanted to build me a house. What I'm going to do is turn around and build you one. You may not get to build the temple, but I got a, I got a better plan. I'm going to build a dynasty within you. I'm going to build your family. And the Davidic kingship that would last forever. Look, again, verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with a rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul when, whom I removed before you and your house 
and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. And according to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Because God was going to build a house. He was going to build a family. He was going to build a kingship within David. In that day and age, reigns, royal reigns, could be very short. Even for Saul and his family, if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, very short reign. The kingdom was taken from Saul and his family, given to David. You had civil wars, you had all kinds of things, challenges to the kingship. And listen what God says. Your kingship, your house, will last forever. So here I am wanting to build a temple, and God just says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to give you something better than you could ever imagine. I'm going to build your dynasty. And your, your son, your son will build the temple. Did you catch that? Your son will build the temple. Someone has said that when God says no to you, he says yes to somebody else. So when you don't get to do what you think you should do, when God says no to you, God's got somebody else that he's going to give the yes to. In this case, it's going to be obviously Solomon, his son. Now, some of you probably think, well, how could that be a better plan? Oh, can't you just see this, though? How much better is it for your son to be able to do it than you are? Hey, most of us in this place, we want better for our children and grandchildren than we want for ourselves. I really believe that most of us in this place would rather see them successful, going about ministry, close to the Lord. We, we want to see them achieve greater things than we ever achieved. I think that's our heart, most of us in this place. So all of a sudden, God said no to you, but what he did is he said yes to your son. And you may not get to build the temple, but your son's getting to build the temple. That's the incredible part of this, is that your son in so many ways will surpass you by being able to build the temple and bring the peace to the nation. That's a better plan. That's a better plan. And don't miss this. There's an eternal kingdom that's mentioned here. Because with God is, when God is speaking to David, what he's saying is, ultimately, there's going to be another Davidic king that will come. You and I will know him in the New Testament by the name Jesus. In other words, David, he may not have been able to get all this in his head at this point, but what he's saying to David is, hey, one of these days I'm going to bring forth a Messiah and he will be my son. He will come. Robert Bergen 
wrote this. He said, the Lord's words recorded here arguably play the single most significant role of any scripture found in the Old Testament in shaping the Christian understanding of Jesus. The divine declarations proclaimed here are foundational for seven major New Testament teachings about Jesus. It says that Jesus is, one, the son of David. Two, one who would rise from the dead. Three, the builder of the house of God. Four, the possessor of a throne. Five, the possessor of, a, of an eternal kingdom. Six, the son of God. Seven, the product of an immaculate conception since he had God as his father. In other words, it's a great plan. It's a great plan. And God's got something better than David could ever even imagine. Hey, haven't we seen that in our lives? I, re- I remember my first, well, I guess my second pastor there in Picayune. We had grown. I mean, the Lord was just doing a lot of work. And our treasurer, you know, the treasurer is always the cheapest guy that you can find on campus, right, of the church. It's a good thing sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, but Laverne came to me and, and Laverne said, you know, we got to build a new church. And I said, glory to God. You know, if he's talking about building a new building, then that means God must be moving. You know what I'm talking about? He would be the last one. And I had in my heart, I said, man, I mean, literally, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this. We're going we're gonna to build this sanctuary. We're going to build. I knew exactly where it was going to be and all this kind of stuff. And then God said, no. He brought forth a little church committee from First Baptist Church of Zachary. And he took me away from there. And it grieved me. It grieved me because I felt like this is what I wanted to do. Back in 2011, I got a call from a college asking me to, to see if I would be willing to join the faculty. And I, I know some of you laugh about that. Some of you are like, what did he just say? You perked up. You can't believe that I would be on a faculty somewhere. But they called and they just asked if I would be willing. And I began talking to them. Do you know my dream from when I was sitting in class in my college days was one day to return to the classroom and teach uh, in a pastoral ministry type of area? And here I got this call. I had a guy that had mentored me through the years. I worked through that, looked at him, said, I don't believe God's called me to the church, uh, to the classroom. Leslie and I prayed about it. We, we talked. I don't even know if Abigail may just be finding this out, by the way. And we said, God has called us to the local church, not to the classroom. Well, in the same year, just a few months later, another college called me. This time, Blue Mountain College, my alma mater. This was where I always wanted to go back. This is where I wanted to teach. This is where I wanted to join Dr. Meeks. Next week, you come. Don't, don't just check out because I'm not here. You come because Dr. Ronald Meeks from Blue Mountain College is going to be here. He was, he was my mentor. And Leslie looked at me and said, you would never be able to tell him no. This is what we're going to do. But we went and we prayed about it. 
And it was a good thing. It was awesome. It was the dream that I'd always had. But we still couldn't get over this feeling that God had called us to a local church, to a local people to serve. I know you can do interims. I know you could do all kinds of church. But we just knew this was not what God wanted us to do. It's hard when the dream is within your grasp. And it's like God says, "Mm." and I look back and I thank him for saying no. I thank him for saying no. Hey, I wouldn't be here today. I'm thankful I can come here. I have to deal with some people like Dwight. But other than that, it's a good gig that I have here. It's a wonderful place. I love pastoring Temple Baptist Church. God says no. There's something better. I know some of you said there were two truths. Well, I'm going to leave the... I'm going to mention the second truth to you because I only got two minutes before I got to... When God says no... He has a better plan for you. And when God says no, you have a better posture or position toward him. What did I say a moment ago that I gave thanks that God said no? Oh, listen to David here. Listen to David. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. I love this. It's kind of like he found a room by himself. He just wanted to talk to the Lord. He gives a response to the Lord. It's very symmetrical to what God had said. Only one Hebrew word shorter than God's initial communication with David. David just kind of responds back in a very similar way. He just sits there, sits before God. And then his posture of prayer, he says, who am I? Oh, Lord God. And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a while, for a great while to come. Is this the manner manner of man, O Lord God? Now what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. When God said no, he understood even more of the sovereignty of God in his life. Notice how many times he says, Lord God. In the Hebrew, he pairs Adonai and Yahweh together. Lord, Lord. (laughs) In other words, there's no doubt you are Lord. You are God. Notice how David uses the language of servant, or in the Hebrew, slave. I'm your servant. He uses it ten times here. By one reckoning, David uses the word servant more than any other Old Testament character you'll find. Because he's just like before God saying, God, you are God. You have every right to tell me no because I'm your servant. And God, now that I'm understanding more, God, I have the right posture in prayer and the posture in praise. For your words sake, verse 21, and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, nor is there any God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And who is like your people, like Israel, the one nation on the earth whom God went to redeem for himself as a people, to make for himself a name, and to do for yourself great and awesome deeds for your land, before your people whom you redeem for yourself from Egypt, the nation's and their gods. For you have made your people Israel your very own people forever, and you, Lord, have become their God. He just praised him. 
And sometimes when he says no, and you recognize that that unanswered prayer, which is actually was an answered prayer, he just said no. When you recognize that, you just can just say, God, thank you. God, who is like you? There is no other. Who knows the plan that you have for us as a people and for us personally. And then look at these last verses. Verse 25. Now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. What does he pray in his petition? He says, do it, God. Oh, God, do it. Just work it out, just like you said. That sounds good to me, God. You got the better plan than I have. God, do it. So let your name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of your servant David be established before you. For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this goodness to your servant. Therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue before you forever. For you, O Lord God, have spoken it, and with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. says, God, just, again, do it. Bless. Do what you have said. I love this because David believes God and he says God I want you to do it and then what does he go out and do later he actually goes out and starts gathering stuff for his son he said my son's going to need some help one of these days God won't let me build it but hey this is awesome God's got a plan I'm going to go out and the scripture says that he goes out and he starts getting all the resources together for Solomon so that when Solomon comes David has already laid so much of the foundation by securing the resources When God says no, you and I are in a better position to understand and see and and just recognize his sovereignty and praise him for what he's done. Because in the end, the goal is what David expressed in the very beginning that he expresses here. That God's name would be ultimately glorified. The name of God above. Are we submitted to his will in our life? Maybe God's told you no about something recently and you've gotten bitter about it. You haven't understood. You've tried to work. And yet when he says no to you, he's got something better planned for you. Would you submit to that plan and that will? Would you come before him? Maybe just sit along with him and talk to him and say, God, I'm submitting myself. I want to praise you for who you are. I want to petition you to do whatever you feel like you need to do to accomplish that will. Would you hear God as he speaks to you this morning? And would you respond to him as he demonstrates grace and mercy and blessing? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these moments we've had. God, speak to us right now. In this place. God. We pray. That you would give us desires and purposes. We pray you would give us vision and dreams. But Lord we pray that those things are in line with your heart. God we don't want to just do the good things. We want to do the God things. In our lives personally and as a church. 
And Father, right now, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would give us clarity in that dream that we have. Lord, if it's a no, speak clearly right now. And God, if it is a no, help us to respond to you with submission, knowing that there is something better. And God, we commit ourselves to you during this time. In Jesus' name.